Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. All right, welcome everyone back to another edition of New Books in Education. This is your host, Ryan Allen, and today I'm happy to bring you a book that uh, caught fire a few years ago and has recently been updated. And so I'm uh, proud to bring on uh, Passy Salberg and his book, Finnish Lessons 2.0, What Can the World Learn from Educational Change in Finland? And this is from uh, Teachers College Press, and it was published in December of uh, 2014. Uh, Dr. Salberg, thank you very much for being on the show today. It's my pleasure, Ryan. Thank you. And uh, if you could just maybe give our audience a little bit uh, about yourself, your background. How do you become uh, sort of the foremost expert in uh, Finnish education, at least uh, internationally? Well, it's all accidental, actually. Some people call me an accidental guru of education. I, 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 I don't think that either of these words are really appropriate. I'm a, I'm a Finnish educator, and people probably know that Finland is a small nation, so we don't have too many too many people there. And all this uh, fame internationally that Finland has had after the launch of the first PISA study about 15 years ago uh, became as a huge surprise to Finns, and that's that's why we didn't have too many people who would be able to comment on the Finnish education internationally. And, and soon after, I had an opportunity to work abroad. I spent five years in Washington, D.C., and then uh, I worked three years outside of Finland for the European Union. And now I've been here. This is my second year here at Harvard. So I, I guess that my my position as, a, as an insider for Finnish education, but also somebody who has been uh, watching and following very closely what Finns do from outside, uh, from the international perspective, gives me a little bit different different angle to, to what's going on in Finnish education and many others. And I've been using this opportunity by writing this book and now the second edition of the new one and, and a lot of other materials uh, all along the way. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. Can, and, and you kind of talked about it, but uh, this is the second edition. Can you talk about sort of uh, what brought you to uh, update the original book and sort of what was the uh, thought process there and sort of uh, what, what were maybe some of the, the changes that happened from the previous edition to, to this edition? Sure, yeah, well, there, there are a couple of things. First of all, when, when, when I first wrote the first edition, this was, uh, it was published in the late 2011, but the writing itself was kind of a, um, for me, it was a kind of a painful thing to do because we didn't have too much research uh, done in Finland. Um, and it was also difficult in terms of the, um, uh, you know, the expected readership and audience that people, many people didn't really believe that this type of book would ever find enough readers, interested in readers to be able to be successful. So the book was made in a kind of in a hurry and in both sides, I think the publisher and myself as well. And we just wanted to get it out in 2011. And, and uh, again, it was a surprise how well it was received and uh, it received several uh, very favorable reviews, like the New York Review of 
books and, and many others. And uh, very soon I thought that somehow this book needs to be improved, um, both in, uh, in the kind of a way it was written, but also how it looked like. Uh, but then the, the other thing that happened that kind of boosted the need for uh, working on the, 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 the new edition was that something some things have changed in education in Finland, mm -hmm. uh, especially the international uh, results and the student assessments um, brought a little bit different color to the Finnish education. And people started to ask questions um, together with the, you know, what is behind the Finland's success and what is the secret of Finland and so on that the book is, is, is trying to help people to understand. But also there were more questions like um, what has happened in, in the Finnish schools now when the results are not the same as they used to be. So this, this new edition is, uh, is also adding this, this type of discussion there, um, what, what might be behind the, uh, the most recent changes in the international uh, studies and research. Uh, but it also includes in my kind of an enhanced understanding of myself and the, the international uh, education community, how the, the successful systems education systems could be Understood. So I think it's also it's a deeper, uh, deeper intellectual journey into the, the nature of uh, high-performing education systems. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's been quite well received. And I think that there was a lot of appetite for this uh, second updated edition. Um, if you could maybe just kind of jump into uh, some of the book. I, I, I really like your acronym uh, Germ. Uh, global education reform movement, uh, sort of, you know, play on words and, and things like that. Can, can you kind of talk about what that means and sort of how this is uh, maybe a counter to to some of, to to that movement at large? Sure. Yeah. Let, let me let me go back to the time when the when the OECD became um, uh, into public with the first PISA results, and you know, the, the people probably know that the, the PISA study is is. Uh, carried out every three years and uh, you know after the first three cycles of the PISA study so now we're talking about the 2000 and late 2007 early 2008 uh, it became very clear that there were new two new uh, international global narratives in, in the world of international education one of them was asking questions like what what would explain the good performance of countries like Canada and Finland and uh, South Korea, Japan and later Singapore? So people started to, researchers also started to ask questions like, you know, what, what should be done, for example, here in the United States to have the similar results of the high-performing systems. But then the other one, the other question that people were not so much paying attention to, but I, I was, and some of my colleagues like Andy Hargreaves and uh, certainly David Berliner and Linda uh, Dallingham, all authors of, uh, of the Teachers College Press. And the question was that what, what's going on in those countries and their education reforms and policies that wanted to be on the top of these international league tables, but they, they were not successful with that. And that's where the, the, um, uh, the term global educational reform movement actually comes from. So it's, it's a movement that many people think have thought that this, this will be a right way to go to improve the quality of education systems, but it has turned out to be a failure. And, and that's uh, certainly something that is very familiar here in the United States and many parts of the United States, namely the, the idea of competition and choice and standardization and uh, reliance on standardized testing and uh, high stakes accountability 
technology, you know, all these things that are very fashionable in the, the current educational reform discourse here. So I, I call this thing a global educational reform movement primarily because it's a, it gives a nice acronym germ. And many people kind of like this as well because it's a easy. You don't need to explain that much because if you, if you know how vi viruses spread throughout the world, this is about the same thing that uh, consultants and education uh, industry companies and uh, international organizations and many others, they infect one another in the conferences and uh, in their encounters and then they uh, they bring this virus into their own country and uh, for some reason it's, it's a little bit like when you have a flu that you, you know that you're sick, that you're not able to do things as well as you used to or you would like to but you, you never know exactly why is it or, or where did you get this virus in, in the first place. So that's why I, I think it's, uh, it's a little bit like a, a, a mind game word also but it seems to be a powerful people like to play with that and I think it's a, it's a good it's a good illustration to show that some of the countries like Finland has been going exactly the other way the opposite way of the germ and I often say that if you want to follow the same metaphor you can say that Finland has remained resistant or immune to this uh, global global virus or global disease and a good question is why is that and the, the book is very much about that too Right. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe if we can uh, dive into some of those reasons, you actually point to sort of a historical point in Finland history and with this uh, word for, or we don't have an English word for it, but it's, uh, I mean, I guess I could try, uh, periskolu. Yes, periskolu. Yeah, and if you could kind of talk about, I guess that's sort of the, uh, the origin of this uh, maybe modern idea of Finnish education. Can you kind of talk about that and uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, when I was writing the writing the book, I was first I, I used the term basic school or comprehensive school, but that's that's not really what the, the this Finnish school that I'm writing about is all about. So in Finnish, it's peruskoulu, and it's a it's more as I say in the book that it's a, it's a, at the same time it's a structure, it's a kind of a how, how the school looks like. It's a nine year compulsory school, but at the same time, it's also a philosophy. It's a kind of an idea how the, the how the education is perceived in Finland, and it includes ideas of inclusiveness, uh, equity, and equality of opportunity. You know, keeping all the children uh, in, within the same school system without uh, without choice of uh, private schools or charter schools. That it's a kind of a system that insists that every school must be a good school, and every classroom must be a diverse place for all the learners to learn. Uh, pretty much the same to the same standard same expectations and this is a very unique system I don't know any other school system anymore except probably our fellow Norway Sweden is not anymore like this Sweden used to be because this is pretty much a Swedish model but but this is a unique uh, structure and philosophy in the, the entire world to have it like this and that's something that Finland began to build in the mid 1970s early 1970s and it took about 25 years to make it make it ready and it was the, the, indeed the first PISA study in the year 2000 that kind of a confirmed for everybody that the idea of Peruskol was worthwhile to launch and uh, it also muted many of the critics and uh, skeptics in Finland at that time that were saying that this type of system where everybody goes to the same school and uh, everybody is held to the same standard in terms of achievement and accomplishment can never work. And I, I think that 
the great accomplishment of the school system has been that we, we have been able to show that if you work hard enough and you have the right policies in place and provide support for those schools and uh, children who need more help, you can actually accomplish this type of idea. So that's that's what the Peruscol philosophy is all about. Mm, right. Maybe if we can jump into some of those policies, uh, maybe some of the school culture that you talk about in the book. Uh, first up, I think a really interesting aspect is just sort of the respect the teacher education has within uh, the Finnish society and sort of the uh, highly trained nature of uh, Finnish teachers. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that? Sure, yes. You know, when I have, uh, and I have just uh, step back again to the time when this federal school, this new school system was introduced uh, about 40 years ago, uh, we Finland very soon realized that, you know, this uh, expectation that every, you know, very different the pupils will be in the same school and, and uh, included in the same class and everybody is held to the same standard. It's only possible if if we have good enough and well enough trained teachers. And that time in the 1970s we didn't because more, many of the teachers were kind of a consequence of the post-war baby boomers and, and we needed a lot of teachers like in many other countries and they were they were educated and trained very quickly often in a two-year seminar courses and then they were sent to school to supposed to teach so many of the teachers in Finland were at the, at the time not properly educated to be successful teachers in this new system so we decided to move the teacher education all the teacher education from these seminars and colleges to universities and um, and eventually this decision was that all the teachers must have at least master's degree in our research universities. And unlike in many other countries, like here in the United States, we in Finland we held teacher education as a as a, the main duty of the universities, and nobody else could pro- provide the, uh, education for teachers. So there are no other pathways into teaching. And I, I think that these have been critical things in elevating the status of teaching. The, the teaching profession in Finland, and also the attractiveness of the teacher education um, that is now shown and has been like this for the last 20 years that we have uh, many, many more young people applying into teacher education, which itself is kind of a driving and enhancing the reputation of being a teacher and, and holding the teaching degree. The other thing that Finland is not doing um, that many countries and many many parts of the United States, for example, are doing in teacher education, that we we are educating exactly the amount of new teachers that the system needs. So if you choose to be a teacher in Finland, you know that you will have a job for sure. Mm-hmm. You, will, you will probably not have a job in a school that you would love to have a job, but you will find a job at work. And it's not like this, as people know here in the United States or Australia or Canada or England, many other places where teacher education is more of a what is called a cash cow for the universities. They say it's a good way for the universities to make money, train teachers more than they need. I think here in the United States you have twice or more amount of new teachers uh, uh, graduating every year than they have their jobs. And this is, you know, this is very problematic for the system itself because to choose teaching here in America or many other places often includes the huge risk that you will never find a job. And this is a completely different thing in, in places like Finland or Singapore, where we only train a number of teachers that we need. And, and you know, these are, it, it's not only, like the book says, that it's not only the high-quality uh, initial teacher education program, whether it's a master, master's degree or something else, but it's the whole system of teaching and, and, 
and teacher policies. And I think that Finland has been very successful in developing and maintaining this type of uh, uh, solid, uh, coherent teacher policy system where teaching profession has a very high high value and high high status among not only among young Finns but everybody mm. in the society. And that's something that I call I call it in the book as a Finnish. Uh, uh, Finnish advantage or Finnish privilege only very few countries have. Right, right. And th- I think that is, uh, you know, certainly a great lesson of many uh, lessons that we can see inside the book. Uh, I guess if we can keep moving along to sort of the different uh, policies or, or different uh, maybe traits of the system. Uh, another trait that I found very interesting is sort of this... Um, more almost customizable education for each student or each student is kind of taken into um, account and sort of their needs. Um, can you kind of talk about how uh, Finnish education focuses on um, each individual student needs and, and uh, what, what that kind of means and what that looks like? Sure. Yes. Um, by the way, I, I turned the, the, the video off. Uh, no, no, no worries. I hear you better now. I, I think, you know, I, I often argue that the Finnish school system is probably the most individualized school system in the world because because the nature of the special education system that we have and also the, the fact that the, the law on education stipulates that teaching in Finnish school schools must be organized according to the needs of every individual. So it's a, it's a kind of a legal requirement that the schooling that is um, that is organized by the local districts in Finland has to be designed in a way that it takes takes into account each and every individual. So in practice, this, this means that we have a very different system of special needs education compared to many other countries. countries. It's, a, it's, a, it's a different in terms of how many students are included in some type of special needs education or remedial teaching in Finland compared to the, the United States, for example. But it's also different in terms of how quickly and how fast the system is in terms of providing help and support for those pupils in school that need help. And Finnish, Finnish definition for special education includes many more elements of related to learning difficulties or behavioral issues or social uh, challenges that children have than special education has in many other countries. So the whole system of special needs education looks very different in Finland than it is, uh, is around the world. And I'm often saying that if there is one uh, kind of a factor behind the Finland's uh, good international performance, it must be the, the way we provide help and support for uh, each and every individual student in the school. But also at the level of the system, because we, we uh, the competition and choice is absent from Finnish education system, uh, primarily because of the lack of absence of standardized testing that would provide data uh, through which schools can compete. That the, the collaboration and cooperation and networking uh, you know, sharing ideas, helping one another at the level of the system among the schools, for example, or school principals or teachers is a is a very visible element of the Finnish system. So that's why I think the same principles that we have for children in the school system that they they receive uh, 
need, uh, help and support easily and fast, uh, we also have a system uh, through the culture of collaboration that is able to help support and help to, to, to schools or principals or teachers very quickly because of the, the, the absence of, um, you know, often the, the conditions that competition choice and accountability bring to the, the school systems that right. you can find here in the United States. So it's, it's a very different culture of collaboration and help and trust that is typical to, to Finland. Right, right. And I, I really, there's a chart that you show and, and, you, and you talk about it, how uh, the Finnish schools, there's more variation within the schools uh, as opposed to uh, between each of the different schools. So meaning uh, that there's not sort of like a cluster of very privileged or, or advantaged schools, sort of more streamlined. Um, so that's uh, really great to find out. But, you know, you mentioned there aren't standardized testing, uh, but you do have uh, you do have testing, so maybe that might surprise some people. Can you kind of talk about uh, some of those tests? I think um, there's one to sort of move to uh, higher education, uh, some other uh, testing that you guys have. Can you kind of talk about what that looks like and how that might be different from your uh, sort of high-stakes testing here in the U.S. and some other countries? Um, yes, people often often uh, incorrectly think that since Finland doesn't have standardized tests, uh, census-based standardized tests like like here in the United States or England or many other countries, that they wouldn't be testing or data at all in Finland. That, that's not that's not correct because we actually we have uh, there there is one external high-stakes standardized examination in the Finnish school system, but that's the the what we call a matriculation examination at the very end of the high school for those students who have chosen the academic high school or upper secondary school. But it's it's, it's true that there there are no standardized assessments based on census that would cover the entire student uh, age cohort, for example, in, in the Finnish school system before that. And, and that's what makes people often conclude that Finland doesn't have any testing or any assessments, but there, there's a lot of data, there's a lot of assessments um, and uh, evaluations going on all the time in the Finnish schools, but they are mostly um, and always done by, by teachers themselves or schools, or in some cases the, the individual districts are, are monitoring the performance of the, the, the school system. So I, I think that Finland is a good example, and, and this, this is one of the Finnish lessons actually, is that you, you can you can design a very different type of accountability and testing system for for the states here in the United States, for example, or the, the Canadian provinces or individual countries. If you look at what Finland um, has, how Finland has uh, designed its uh, student assessment and monitoring system by employing um, sample-based standardized tests rather than and census-based assessments, and then rely more on teacher-based uh, uh, student assessment, uh, both uh, uh, formative and, and summative assessments that are, are always done by teachers and schools in Finland. And I, I think that this leaves, this takes a, a lot of burden away from schools that I can see here in the United States, where standardized testing often comes with the punitive uh, sanctions afterward if you if your uh, students are not able to score 
to a certain level that will have a negative consequences for the teacher and therefore we can see a lot of teacher prepare, the test preparation and pressure in the schools and a lot of time is spent on you know just focusing on these tests that you would never see in, in Finland. If you walk into any any Finnish school classroom, the talking about grades one to nine, you would never ever find any teacher, any student doing anything in a classroom that would be somehow focusing on forthcoming tests or assessments. So most of the time that is made, made available in a Finnish school is for you know learning and, and trying to understand things. So I think the, the value of the Finnish system really and the Finnish lessons uh, in, in one way is to to stand as an alternative example and model for those who who are looking for more intelligent ways of uh, student assessment and monitoring and, and, and producing data. I'm not saying that the Finnish system is a perfect one, but it's an alternative. It's something that um, most Finnish politicians and uh, policymakers and community parents are quite happy with, and very few people actually would like to uh, see any radical changes in the ways uh, students are testing assessed right now. Right, right. And I think you actually mentioned that a little bit, sort of how uh, there are actually uh, maybe a small faction that's suggesting you know, maybe make some changes. Uh, so the term globalization always, always comes up. Uh, and you also mentioned that sort of Finland was taken by surprise with some of these numbers and now potentially uh, people are afraid to make changes because they were doing everything right. Um, can you kind of talk about, I think, it, I think you call it sort of the future uh, finish uh, uh, if you can just maybe get into sort of how you guys are dealing with uh, sort of this now potentially pressure or focus or uh, magnifying glass on your system yes the, the international success and this global fame in the world of education that Finland has had now for the last 15 years or so did not come without a kind of a cost for that. There has been a lot of uh, enjoyable and, and fun moments, but I, I think that the cost, the dark side of this type of, uh, you know, standing in the center stage of education for too long is that I, I have I have observed that there has been some degree of complacency in uh, among the policymakers and decision makers, certainly in Finland, in terms of their willingness and ability to, you know, raise the questions like what is the next generation or next level education, how does it look like? Um, and I, I, in a way this is understandable because Finland has been receiving uh, more than 100 official delegations every year, meaning led by the Minister or Deputy Minister of Education. And they, have all, they all come to Finland to see the, what they call the best education system in the world and somehow the, the, some some of the things that they have kind of a turn to believe that this is the case, and and when you ask when you have ask about the, what how the future school system looks like, some of some of the people have said that it looks pretty much as it is now because this is the best best that, that you can have. And but everybody knows that this this is not the way the future should look like. And, and certainly, if you if you speak to Finnish young people, those who are consuming these wonderful teaching and learning opportunities in our school system, that they are, they are increasingly uh, critical to, uh, you know, what the schools are doing and what they are not offering to kids. And that's why I think it's, it's a high time now to, um, 
you know, really look 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 to the future and, and leave a little bit of this international fame behind. And I, I think that this declining visa results in 2012 study that, uh, you know, raised a lot of concerns around the world, not so much in Finland because we knew that already, is a welcome thing. I think it may turn out to be a good thing and a kind of a kick to the, uh, the backside of Finns to say that you, you cannot rely on what you have had and now it's time to see what is the next school system. Just, just right now, uh, when, when we speak here, there's a, there's a lot of um, interest and discussion, conversation going on around the world of what was reported by one media of uh, that Finland is doing away the traditional school subjects and, and replacing traditional teaching with a phenomenon or, or, or kind of an integrated approach where teachers and teachers would work together and subjects would be combined. I've been trying to uh, provide more kind of an accurate big picture of this, that this is not going to be the future of Finnish schools. I think what will happen, uh, hopefully, where this uh, phenomenon-based teaching will lead to is that we will, in the future, Finland, as I describe in the book, should have much less traditional teaching that is based on children sitting in a classroom and one subject teacher teaching mathematics or English or history or whatever it is, uh, and that the, this time would be replaced by um, project-based learning or problem-based learning or this phenomenon-based uh, <coughs> teaching and learning that people are, have been talking about when they, when they look at Finland, where more subjects come together and teachers design learning opportunities for students that could be learning in different ways. Some people, some kids would be, could be learning alone and some of them would be doing a small group work. The learning could take place in this, within the school or it could take place in the, within the community. It could be based on uh, using technology and the internet and, and the modern ways of uh, communication or it could be something so <clears throat> what I'm talking about here is that I think the future of Finland, Finnish schools should include much more, <clears throat> much more, excuse me, than it does now, the elements of personalized learning or customizing teaching and learning to the circumstances and uh, opportunities within every school and every community. And, and therefore, I see that this phenomenon-based teaching and learning that is, uh, that is entering now in every school in Finland uh, from 2016, some in some ways is a, is a welcomed thing, and it's a, it's a big opportunity for all the schools now to rethink what they do, and this is exactly what Finland needs. I think the the good news from Finland again is that none of these changes are done because of the declining PISA results. So, so that's not at all the driver of the, the current changes. These changes are entering now in because. We have more and more young people who are expecting different uh, different opportunities to, de uh, to to learn and, and you know do things in school, and we do this also because there are teachers who say that we should be doing much more work together within the school so that we understand what the kids need. And you know, if this happens, if we can move along forward with this type of idea in Finland, it may be that it's that it will stand as a as a next good, interesting example for the rest of the world to see how the Finns are doing these things. Yeah, fantastic. And, and it's funny you mentioned sort of that uh, media article or, or report. Uh, I saw people posting it on uh, my uh, news feed and Facebook as well, so it's kind of a funny circumstance there. But uh, I think you kind of 
hit on the on the final point, maybe uh, for the for a question that I had in mind, but you really focus and you really want to say, hey, it is possible to learn lessons. It is possible to sort of share and borrow policies, uh, and that's sort of you know, the theme of the book. But what do you what do you say, and you address it in the book to the detractors and critics that say, hey, Finland is its own thing. It's a small Nordic country. Uh, it has nothing. We can't learn any lessons from to the United States or to the UK or things like that. What, can you kind of address uh, a couple of those um, critics? Of course, Finland is a, is a different country. I often hear people saying, referring to the size and how many people there are. I, I think that's a kind of a minor concern that I have when, when they, whenever there's a question of whether we can learn from one another. The, 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 my, I'm more concerned about the overall social or political context and the circumstances where Finland is doing these things that very few people are actually referring to them. If you look at the United States and, and uh, Finland, we are very, very different in terms of, for example, how we, how we think about distributing the wealth of our nations that is almost equal as a nation. If you, if you take the per capita wealth, the United States and Finland are equally wealthy, but we have a very different way of you know, using this wealth. And that's, I, I think that those are much more significant differences than the size. I often see, with all due respect to people who say that, I often think that whoever says that America is 320 million people and Finland is about 6 million, that they, you, you, you kind of compare these things. That what, they, what these people really are saying is that they don't want to go there, that they don't want to you know, open this box and see that what, what are the issues and how we could learn from one another, uh, which is fine. Uh, then I often reply to uh, my American friends and colleagues here by saying that but education here in America is, a, is a, within the mandate of the states. And uh, as I write in a book, the, the more than 30 states in the United States are about the size of Finland or smaller. So if you don't like to compare Finland and the United States of America, then you can see how you can com- how how you could compare Finland and the state of Indiana or Massachusetts, for example, that are very similar um, uh, in, in size. And uh, uh, so you know that's that's one way to um, to, to look at this. You know, I, I'm, I'm also often uh, emphasizing that Finland has uh, learned most of the things from the United States. So if America cannot learn from Finland, then my question is that how come? that Finland and Singapore and many others have been able to learn from the United States of America. So I'm not saying that people can copy Finland. You can never, you know, you can never do your way to uh, look like uh, Finland as a society or the Finnish education system, but you can learn many things. And previously, earlier we spoke about the the, uh, uh, accountability and student assessment. That's one thing. But then there, there's a lot of small little things that I know already here in the United States many schools are doing because they have been learning from Finland. Things like, you know, giving children back the time to have recess between the, the, the school uh, lessons and classes every day. Um, uh, you know, respecting that one. Giving teachers time to, you know, sit down every now and then during the school day and, um, uh, you know, chat about what they do, Re- returning play as part of the, the life of the children and schools like Finland is doing. That's quite possible to do. Or redesigning the, the high school uh, learning schedule in the school like Finland has done. 
that is very different than it is here in the United States. So I think, you know, if you don't like the idea of America becoming a small Finland, um, you, can, you can always go with the, some of these elements and important aspects of, of the Finnish system that has made Finland what it is right now. Right, absolutely. And so, you know, you, you get into the book, you know, stuff on Dewey, you have more stuff on teachers, teacher pay, teacher time, and uh, we can't get to it all in, in this uh, interview, so I definitely encourage the uh, audience to, to go and, and check out the whole thing. Um, any, any final words that you have um, on uh, Finish Lesson 2.0? Uh, well, you know, in a way, I see the book, my book, Finnish Lessons 2.0, as a um, as a kind of a message of hope for those people who um, often, you know, tell me that they have they, they don't see any light in the end of the tunnel anymore. And not only here in the United States, but many many other countries when it comes to uh, public education and the, the the opportunity of public education becoming what it used to be. And uh, I'm saying that you know, and it's, it's not only Finland, but it's a, it's a kind of a beautiful message of hope that if you can get people together and agree on some of the fundamental things like the Finns have done, that you can, you can build and recreate the system where public, public education serves as a foundation or the basic element of democracy and children's and, and the nation's education. And that's something that is, is, is a huge risk right now around the world where public education is at risk here in the United States as well because of the increasing privatization and alternative models of education. And uh, many people don't see that there is a way out from this. And that's why, I, you know, I'm often saying when, when I'm talking about this book is that for example, here in the United States, that you probably need to stop doing some of these harmful things or things that are not productive for the system, like over-reliance on standardized testing and the punitive uh, accountability that comes with it or unhealthy competition, that these things somehow has to be stopped before you can redesign and build anything, whether they are ideas from Finland or anywhere else. And, and that's, I think, what the, the book is uh, is all about. Is, is telling people that you can do these things, but you have to see the alternative, and you have to stop doing certain things before you can make any improvement. And, and my concern here in the United States, when I travel around this wonderful country, is that people often think that they can just pile up new ideas and and uh, models from other countries, including Finland hoping that the education will improve. And I, I don't think that this will be the right way. So if my book brings any <clears throat> additional hope to those people who would be, who be, uh, you know, leaving the game too early, I, I would be very happy. Okay, fantastic. So a message of hope for sort of the sure. believers in, in public school. Uh, I'm a, a public school uh, uh, product myself, so I can, uh, agree to that. Um, I guess moving past uh, this book, what, what's what's going on next? Uh, what are you researching? Uh, what's on your plate? Well, I'm I'm actually I'm looking at the other side of the coin. You know, Finnish lessons is is one side of the coin, meaning that uh, this book is very much about the things that you can see within education. It's about 
teacher education and the, the structure of the system and education policies and uh, you know how teaching and learning look like and those things. Now I'm my my research and work now is looking at the other side of the coin that is uh, something that you don't you don't immediately see, but that those things may have a significant and a powerful uh, influence in how these systems become uh, high performing or successful. So, so when Finnish lessons is, is what it is right now, I'm, I'm trying to see how the how the society or the culture or or the things that children are doing before they come to school or some other things uh, impact in the, the system's performance and that's quite interesting. It's not really a, a lesson, finished lesson, it's something else but I'm, I'm researching on that. I'm also doing more work now on trying to understand more about this, some of the uh, often, often mentioned aspects of the Finnish system like teacher education for example, my recent work is the current current writing is now focusing on understanding more how the universities in Finland and in Singapore and Canada as well the high performing systems how how they are selecting the new teachers and it's often done in a very different way than people people think when they look at Finland I often hear people saying that Finland has this privilege of selecting acad- the, the academically uh, best uh, and and brightest ten percent of the applicants which is the but true, and I try to help people also understand a little bit more about some of the things that I do this lesson. But this is an ongoing journey, and uh, it's very inspiring, actually. Okay, absolutely. Well, well, we'll look forward to all those. I'm, I'm definitely curious about sort of uh, the higher education sector, so hopefully uh, we can see uh, some fruitful work in the future there as well, uh, especially, you know, considering teacher uh, education is such an important part of uh, the book, as we've heard today. Um, okay, well, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Salberg. I do appreciate it, and I encourage uh, all my listeners to go check out Finnish Lessons 2.0, What Can the World Learn from Educational Change in Finland? Uh, and uh, thank you, Dr. Salberg, and uh, to all my audience. I hope you learned something. Thanks, Ryan.